Good morning, everyone. I got a wonderful letter from one of the men um, that on Tuesdays we go to Max Security, a number of us men do, and received a very nice letter from one of these men. I'll see if we can get it posted up in the board. But um, if you are interested in writing to some of the men in on our Tuesday classes, let me know and I'll try and get the, the address and the names and their OCA numbers. Um, and you can encourage them. But they have been very, very encouraged uh, on behalf of the letter that this, this person has written and wanted to pass it on to you. <clears throat> you know, the Apostle Paul, he's writing from a perspective whereupon they are giving themselves, devoting themselves as apostles to the Lord, and the result is they're hated. Think about it. You share a message of good news, and you're compelled, as we spoke of last week, to share such good news, and then you would expect that people, wouldn't, when hearing such good news, they'd want it, right? That was my naivete when I first became a Christian and was just going about sharing God's word with everyone, not realizing that in the future I was going to be hated as a result of it. And I cannot... Imagine what they went through from the standpoint that I've never feared for my life. I'm not a feared for my physical well-being, but never thinking that I was going to die in that regard for preaching the gospel of Jesus. And as you saw in the, the writing in the letter there, he said, we're basically carrying the body of Jesus, the one that hung on the cross. We're carrying that in our lives, and it meant for, for us, the possibility of death. And we're hard-pressed on every side. And I can imagine how discouraging it could very well be from time to time when you're sharing good news and people rejecting it. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. And it may not be limited to the context of sharing the gospel, but it's definitely something that we all experience at any time in our lives. And some of us, just by virtue of the fact that God made us different than others... Some of us just have this bubbly personality, and others of us may seem more either indifferent seemingly or angry or whatever the demeanor or whatever our personality. We all have those times, right, that when we're faced with discouragement, based upon our personalities, we handle those discouraging moments differently, just like we handle any other moment differently. And I'm wanting us to, to look at these scriptures to see what it's like to go through moments in our lives when we are discouraged and hopefully find some practical things, some things that we can be reminded of even if we already know these truths. So I want us to explore some of that for a second. That said, I want to disclaim, make a disclaimer, at least a few of them. Number one, while we all go through these um, moments of discouragement that we battle, <coughs> We all know that those um, moments are going to be different, right? Same scenario, same situation, but we all handle it differently. So that's number one. Number two, though, when we're talking about some of these strategies, and I'm only going to look at a couple of them. There's many that we could be looking at, but two major ones, particularly this morning, that we're going to look at. Just because it works for one person doesn't necessarily mean that this is like carte blanche. It's going to be for every single person, Okay. Because I can just imagine when we talk about something as sensitive as discouragement, and I'm not even getting into clinical depression or anything like that. But when we talk about these things, usually, you know, it's like, well, that sermon didn't mean much for me. 
I'm hoping that these points will be very useful for every single person here, but that's not meaning that discouragement is going to end today as a result of this, right? And so these following uh, employed methods, if you will, if you can call them that, are going to help us get through moments of discouragement by virtue of the fact that we know that the end is going to come when we breathe our last physically in this limited body, mortal body that we have, and ultimately that eternal crown will be granted to us. Okay, so what I'm saying is when all is said and done with this sermon, we're going to have some that will go through these moments, use some of what we're talking about here and make it through just like we always do. And others of us may go through this life always feeling like we're always discouraged. Again, there's so many variables, so many factors. This, this sermon was never meant to deal with every nuance. So those are the disclaimers. Now, I want us to talk about some sources first before we actually get into the, the practical side of things. Because if you notice, there's a number of reasons why we get discouraged. And ultimately... They're going to include a number of reasons, including these. Notice some of them. Sometimes we get discouraged because we mess up. We sin. It was just, we're talking about it, or Steve was talking about it this morning, right? About how we have our own sins and what have you. In fact, in Genesis chapter 4, remember with Cain and Abel? Here is Cain, after his murdering his brother, God punishes Cain... And he says, this burden is too great for me. He's distraught over it. He's discouraged, if you will. And he makes it very verbally known from verses 9 through 14 that that was the case, right? That that was going to be the situation. I want you to read that with me and just listen to the words of this heartache for the sin that he committed, not only against Abel, but against his God. So in verse 9, see if I can get my... My eyes out here. Pick up in verse 9. Let me back up to verse 8 here. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, well, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Think about that. The anguish that Cain is feeling. Sometimes we just read this passage, just a Bible verse. But he's heartbroken over what has happened. And whether that would have led to repentance or not is beside the point. He is going through a moment where he is very discouraged because of his own sin. Think about Judas in Matthew 26. When I was preparing this sermon, I couldn't help actually but cry for him. I'm thinking, I've never felt that emotional about Judas before. But as I was 
letting it sink in and digesting within myself, I could not help but just feel the anguish that Judas no doubt went through because Scripture is very explicit about how just depressed he was over his own sins. Look at what it says here in Matthew chapter 26 after he's guilty of his sin. So Matthew 26, we see him. uh, He is plotting to to betray Jesus. He's going to get his 30 pieces of silver for it. They're in the garden. He kisses Jesus in his betrayal. When all was said and done, he was very remorseful for his actions. And picking up in chapter 27, notice what it says. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. This is the result of of what Judas has done. They bound him, led him away, and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elder, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Let that sink in. It took a lot for him to have to go back and let, let everybody know, these leaders that are going to condemn Jesus to death, what he had done. They said to him, what is that to us? You sit to yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And a result, I would add, of his mourning over his sin, he took his life. He hung himself. That's awful. And I don't know if it's because over the years, from before I was a Christian, I've had friends that have taken their lives. And I cannot imagine the pain they were going through. But it can be because of sin that you go through this period of your life that you feel like there's no hope for me. Sometimes it's not even you sinning. Sometimes it's because someone sinned against you that it can bring you down into just an emotional pit that you seem to have difficulty getting out of, right? This is the case that we can read of with regard to um, the people of God. In in Joshua chapter 7, remember, this is after Israel had gone into Jericho and victoriously by the power of God had victory over Jericho. They're just marching around, and all of a sudden, walls come tumbling down, right? That's the story. Great faith, if I can use it that way, but a greater God that actually stepped in and gave them victory. And then God was basically saying, listen now, don't take the spoils, right? Don't take the loot. Except for there was a man that did. And we read that that Achan, or Achan as he is known as in scriptures, took of it and hid it in and under the tent. Well, they go off to battle against Ai, and Scripture says, I think it was 36 men of Israel were slain. None in Jericho, right? Jericho is a much more mighty army than Ai. And yet 36 men lose their lives. And this is after God told them, go and take Ai. Do you know that the result of 
one man sinning against God affected people who did not. See, sometimes it's not about you sinning, but someone else's sin that has affected your life. And that's what happened in this situation. Families and friends, best friends, loved ones, lost their lives. Lost their husbands and fathers. And then when all was said and done and God punished not only Achan, but all of his family, it affected even more lives. And no doubt, people are questioning, in some cases, what kind of God they're serving. That's what happens when you're discouraged. Your focus shifts. Your questions come up and they arise from within. And sometimes they come from a place that is not understanding God's perspective. But that happens nonetheless. Or it could simply be life circumstances. In Luke chapter 13, remember, the Pilate had killed some people right and then they were asking Jesus if you go to Luke chapter um, 13 asking Jesus about the situation and Jesus is is trying to give them a different perspective by which they should see life but it still didn't take away from the fact that these people would regard situations and put a, a stamp of morality to them and sometimes Jesus says no it's just life circumstances right notice in, in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered him and said, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Or how about those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? See, while his context was about them repenting or their fate being no different than the others who had a different way of, of their lives ending, the reality was, here's a tower that falls on these people. Here are some people that were chosen just in seemingly any, meeny, miny, mo fashion. And now look at whose lives are affected. That happens. We're driving along the road. And I, this happened to our neighbor about five years ago. Driving along the interstate. And he sneezes while driving his car. And in the process of, of that sneezing chokes on a drink that he has. Gets into a car accident and loses his wife. It just happens sometimes. Not because of any sin on anyone's part. Life happens. And can still bring you into despair. It may be because of unfulfilled expectations. You know, every one of us in this room at one time or another, in fact, multiple times more than once, we place expectations on ourselves and on other people. Right? Spouses, we put expectations on our spouses at times. And our spouses don't live up to those expectations and we get discouraged. Or we place them on ourselves, right? Some of us have personality types that are perfectionists. Well, that only is working so long as everything is done right. 
what happens when things go, don't go right. And so we have these unfulfilled expectations, and that's exactly what we can read of in Acts chapter 15. Here's the apostle Paul. He's with Barnabas, and they bring some men, including John Mark, with them, right? And in the first missionary journey, John Mark, at some point in Pamphylia, deserts them and goes back to Jerusalem. We're not given the reason, just the fact that he had done so. Second journey comes around, and Barnabas says, well, let's bring John Mark with us. And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. I remember the last time we took him with us. We're not going to have that happen again. Right? There's an expectation. And for whatever you can say, whether it's from Paul's perspective or Barnabas' perspective, let alone John Mark's perspective, you still get discouraged because unfulfilled expectations take place and somehow it affects our relationship with each other. We get discouraged by one another's not fulfilling those expectations. Or as the Apostle Paul himself, when we're reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, get discouraged for doing what is right. Same thing as David and many others, like in the 142nd Psalm. When you're so distraught, you cannot help but pour out your heart to God. For when you are trying to live right, you're trying to do all that you can to serve God. And what do you get for it? Nothing but sorrow and misery. Look at the 142nd Psalm. This is a short psalm. Read this passage with me. David says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. And when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. And so I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. All kinds of reasons to be discouraged. But as you noticed, King David, he knew where his encouragement would come from. See, and therein lies a difference that many who continue to live in discouragement don't see. They don't see the end. And David, while he may not have seen the end from a physical standpoint, knew the Lord was going to see him through those moments of discouragement no matter what the source was whether it was his own sin which he had committed right maybe it was the sins against him like Saul when he was living in caves among other places as an enemy of his whether it's going to be life circumstances or unfulfilled expectations whatever they mean uh, whatever the circumstances would be you just get discouraged but what do you do about it And that's what I want us to see here. I want us to see that when these moments come, oftentimes these moments are really battles in our own mind. Isn't that what discouragement really 
boils down to? Because remember, we're talking about different personalities. You have someone that goes through the very same circumstances as someone else. Since you guys are bringing up um, the author of that book that was going through uh, the concentration during the Holocaust. Why some would survive and others wouldn't. Same circumstances. And all things being equal in many cases, what was the difference maker, the X factor? It was what was in their heart, in their mind. How they handled those moments of discouragement, if I can even use that word in that context. The battle of discouragement, no matter what someone else looks at and says, you know, that's, that's easy. All you have to do is, right? Have, how many of us have ever received that kind of advice? All you have to do is this. Tell it to the person who is in the midst of being discouraged. It's difficult. I mean, if it was that easy for them, they would have gone through it, right? With your personality, they would have made it, made it through. Or maybe with whatever circumstances and how you've dealt with things in the past, it's shaped you the way you are and how you deal with discouragement today. But the battle is real for that person. And seemingly, for some people, when you're going through discouragement, it seems impossible to overcome. That pit is difficult to come out of. But here's the thing about it. No matter what the situation is, there's always a multitude of perspectives. And the one that really counts is going to be not just yours, nor other people around you, although they can be very helpful. Ultimately, it's going to be God's perspective that hopefully we can put our trust in. And that, that's hard to do at times. Because I think we just live in a culture where we want more and more control. And when we are stuck in this control reality, it's hard to see things from God's point of view, right? So in Genesis chapter 12 through 22 is the story of the life of Abraham. Now think about God's initial promise in Genesis 12. He repeats it in Genesis 15, again in Genesis 20 or in Genesis 17. And then um, we see the tests of Abraham's life. There's 10 different incidences going on in, in Abraham's life. 10 tests, if you will. And time again, by and large, he fails those tests. Right? For instance, on one of them, when, when God tells him, I'm going to make your name great, and through you, all families of the earth are going to be blessed, that sounds very encouraging until years pass by and you still don't have a son. Right? You and your wife are, are trying for years. How many parents, aside from the blessing part where all families are going to be blessed through you, your, your lineage, have tried having a child and for years not able to have a child? That can get discouraging. Here they are. They're trying to have a child knowing that God has blessed them. Right? But nothing happens. And so they take matters into their own hand. And they have Ishmael. And God says, no. Not it. It's not going to be through a servant in your home. It's not going to be through Ishmael. It's going to be through you. You and your wife. And God made it happen in his time. Even though that time was years later, even though it did not meet your expectations, even though it was not a matter of initially any sin on your part, right? 
But all those things come into play where you get discouraged. And sometimes it's hard to see the reality from, from God's point of view because you're stuck in your own worldview. But if you can try, to the best of your ability, as much as possible on you, look at things from his perspective. Look at the long game. And maybe things don't look so, so bad from that perspective. And then tied in with that is this concept of limited control. Because remember, God says, even through Jesus Christ, we can't affect our own lives, right? We can't affect the hair on our head in, in some sense. Right? You can't even change some of the circumstances that take place in your life. You have only so much control. And that's the thing about discouragement. We want control. Because we want to get out of this feeling that we don't like, this pit. And we want to have those good feelings once again. So the need to control outcomes actually heightens discouragement. At least that's why I see it in Scripture. It's what we see in, in everybody's lives. This need for control to handle the situation so that we get the desired result only makes it more difficult when those expectations are not met. And so we have to at some point come to the conclusion that there's only so far I can control life circumstances. Well, what are those life circumstances? What is it that is in my control and what is that that's not out of or what is in my control? And that's where I'm hoping this last slide we can see. That Psalm 142, if you notice, David understood that balance. David knew there were some things that, that he simply could not do. And that's when he went into prayer because it's out of my control. I can't make this happen. Right? Like, for instance, I could see in that Psalm when, when Saul would, would seek David's life. David could still be nice to the king, King Saul. David could run away from King Saul. That's what he can control. David can have a mindset that says, even though the king seeks my life, I don't want to seek his. I want to seek his well-being. But it was discouraging for David to go through those moments. Especially when you're being nice to the king and the king wants to kill you. What do you do? He goes to God in prayer. He asks for God to step in and help him through the situation. But I want you to see there's another aspect to this. This is going to be harder said, I mean harder done than actually said, right? When you're discouraged, what is the natural thing we want to do? We want to dwell in that discouragement. I don't know why. Now, not every one of us would have answered that way. But generally speaking, people who are in it seem to be stuck to dwell in that situation. And those that get out of it more easily seem to get out of thinking of those things, right? That's why the Apostle Paul, in a different context, in Philippians chapter 4, right? He says, think on these things, dwell on these things, whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is excellent, all these things. He says, think on these things. Think on things above. And there are some people that are willing to do that, able to do it, others that have difficulty doing it. But here's the thing. If we continue to dwell in discouragement, it is hard for us naturally to get out of that. 
What you can do, hopefully, try to do, is take whatever ownership that you had that brought you to this situation. And again, it may be you that led to this moment of discouragement, maybe a sin or an expectation that you did not meet, or maybe it's someone else's. And so maybe by owning the situation where you're able to repent of any wrongdoing on your part that led you to where you are, or maybe it's forgiving someone else, right? You're not able to forgive that person for what they've done against you that brought you into this low of life. Whatever the situation may be, there's other things that may be including not just repentance or forgiveness. But if you continue to dwell in that, it's not going to help. Again, it's one thing for us to know this. It's another to actually employ it, right? Or how about this? Actually count your blessings. That helps you to actually get out of this moment of discouragement. Count the things that are going well for you right now. Don't we sing that song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One? That song is in one sense strategy, especially for those among us that live in discouragement. Instead, instead of intentionally living our lives and rejoicing about what God has blessed us with. Think about that. When you go back to Psalm 142, that's exactly what David was doing. In the midst of his cries to God, in the midst of his complaints to God, he counted his blessings of what God was able to do that he himself could not do with his own control. And we see that in that song. So that means, finally, at some point, we're going to have to trust in our God. That he's going to have to take over in ways that I don't know how to handle this situation. That's just the bottom line reality. And I don't know what that looks like in every circumstance. I don't know what it looks like in hardly any circumstance. But it's still the same truth. We just read the passage in our Bible study about trusting in the Lord. That's what we have to do. God sees what we cannot see. God's ways are higher than ours. And I'm going to say this. In some cases... Our lives are simply just going to, I don't know how else to say it, but real brashly, it's just going to suck. It's going to be difficult. That's just going to be part of life. And for some of us, it's just going to be suckier than others. Until we finally get to breathe our last and have no more sorrow, no more pain to deal with in this life. I think that's just going to be the case for some of us. I hate it that we all have to go through this, but that's a reality. I hope your trust is what the Lord provides for you, if not in this life, ultimately for all eternity. The weight of discouragement is far, far less than the weight of glory that God is going to give us for all eternity. And if while in this world you have difficulty finding that light, that hope, trust in God, that you will have it for all eternity. So I hope that's some, some things that you can consider. But more importantly, if you have not been employing, even if you already know these strategies, but maybe you have not been practicing them, try them again. Get through these moments with the very grace and power of God.
to help you through them. That's what I hope and pray for you when you're faced with discouragement. Ultimately, the promise is true. Just as God told Abraham and years later he saw the truth and he was able to do things that would otherwise be so discouraging for, uh, for another person, he, would ab- he was able to see that end, that perspective that God had for him. That's the reason why he was able to, to actually look at God's command of taking his only begotten son, the one through whom the promise came, and realize if I were to fulfill God's commands that would take the life of my only child away, God is able to raise him up because he promised. And if that's not the case, however he can do it without me understanding it, he's going to do it because he's God and he's always, always trustworthy in his time. So if you're here and you want that relationship with him, beg for it. You don't have to. Beg for it from the standpoint that he is so ready and willing that he's inviting you. But beg for it from a standpoint that you want it so desperately because his promises can never, ever fail. It never has, never will. But you can come to him. Bring all your burdens and cast them at his feet. He's ready, able, and willing to give you all the encouragement that is found in Jesus Christ. Why don't you do that as together we stand and sing?